I have bad news. The bad news is that Scott Mueller is unable to join us today. He, uh, I got a call from his wife. Scott's the guy was is the uh, our brother who was originally scheduled to preach today. I got a text from his wife at four in the morning saying, "Hey, Scott's not feeling well. He has vertigo." Um, and uh, we were texting throughout the morning, and uh, she let me know about an hour and. 10 minutes ago that uh, Scott, he won't be able to join us, so I had a little bit of time to prepare a sermon. Um, that's the bad news. Uh, I, I have to say that I'm so grateful for Scott. He, um, he preached a few weeks ago two times, and I heard so much good feedback from his sermon. Um, so uh, if you get a chance, thank him. Uh, he was going to lead a workshop on forgiveness and bitterness uh, attend this morning, but he was also obviously unable to make that. Um, he'll reschedule that. He'll preach again soon. But I just want to publicly ex- appreciate or express my appreciation for Scott. Um, he's been such an encouragement to us. Pray for him. Uh, he's still not feeling well, uh, and pray that uh, when he comes to speak again, that the spirit. Uh, I'm sure he'll add more or he'll take things out from his the sermon that he had prepared for us. But um, pray that pray that God would heal him. Pray that God would. Uh, be gracious to him, and there's a reason why this has happened. That's the good news. The good news is that nothing falls outside the realm of God's control. Uh, God knew that this would happen, and God did not give you a pastor with wise words. God gave you his word, and this has always got to be enough for us. So I had a little bit of time to prepare. I apologize in advance. i I've heard that you shouldn't apologize for things before you go into a sermon, um, but I'm going to apologize in advance just because uh, I hope you understand. I usually have everything written out word for word. Today I have a bunch of chicken scratches, <laughs> but um, I, 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 I'm praying that God will root this message in his word, that it would be biblical. So... Um, just a few, and also excuse me if I if I uh, take a few more pauses than usual. But um, I, I want to say that when a preacher prepares a sermon, there's something called exegesis. This is what we're doing. This is a process of drawing out what is in the text. We want to be faithful to that process. We want to find out what is God saying through His Word. Um, th- this is the the primary task of the preacher. Um, when I was in seminary, one of one of my exegesis professors, he says, in addition to exegeting the word, you also have to exegete the culture that you live in. So how does our culture interpret, or how does our, our culture uh, understand the world? How does our culture understand I, God or this idea of God? And we talked about how much of our culture in the previous weeks, uh, this, the past two weeks, how much of our culture is, uh, we think contrary to how how God wants us to think. And uh, our job as, as leaders, pastors, as communicators, and your job as, as, as congregants of the church is to get a feel for what culture is doing and saying. How does culture work? Um, this is interpreting how culture thinks, how the people around us think. And this is important because we need to know that what God says in his word is not detached from what's happening in the lives of the people around us. And I'm going to add to what my seminary professor told me. He said, in addition to exegeting the word, you also have to exegete the culture. But I will say we also have to exegete our people. 
I want to know, when I preach, I want to know what's happening in the lives of our people. Um, and if I were to ask you to raise your hands, if I were to just ask, how many of you didn't want to be here this morning? If we're really honest, thank you. Uh, if, if you were really honest, there's got to be some of us that can say, I didn't want to be here this morning. What if I ask you, how many of us are struggling to believe what the Word says? I bet hands would go up. If I were to ask you, how many of us are struggling with a sin? And it's so difficult, it's so hard. How many of us would raise our hands? I didn't ask you guys, and you guys are doing it. And I want you to know that all of us are struggling in some way. And God has something to say to us. And I want us to, I want us to be aware of what's happening in this room. When, I'm, when I was preparing this, this message, and I, what, I try to do this every time I prepare a message, I, I have someone in mind. Um, it's, it could be any one of you. There might be a group of people. Um, but I want to know what's happening in the lives of our people because I need to say what God wants our people to say. And I believe that God, over the summer, he's given us 1 Corinthians, the first three chapters, to say something to us as a church. But I pray that today God would say something to us as well. I don't know how it's going to land or how it's going to hit you guys. Um, so in, in the spirit of, of doing ministry in, in the spirit, I just want to ask you guys to pray with me right now um, for three things. Number one, pray for me. Number two, pray for yourself. And number three, pray for the people. Uh, so I'm going to kind of give us, just lead us in this time. Right now, I said at the beginning of this summer, I need you to pray for me. And I don't say this to be self-serving. I say this because really I need you to pray for me um, all the time. Um, I am not anything special. If you talk to my wife, she will affirm that. Yes, <laughs> Wade is not anything special at all. Um, but God, I believe, has given me a responsibility. Um, so right now, can I just ask you for like maybe 30, 45 seconds to pray for me that as I, as I think through what, he, what I think God wants me to say, um, that he would do that? Would you pray, pray that I would submit to what the Spirit's doing right now in me? And then now, would you just uh, ask God to prepare your heart to receive his word? Would you ask God to, to give you clarity as you think and as you receive what's being said? Now, would you 
pray for the person next to you. That if you have a couple of people around you, pray for them specifically. I, when I asked the questions, uh, so many of you guys raised your hands. We're full of doubt. We're full of um, anxiety. We're, we're full of a disbelief of what God has said. Would you pray that the other, pray for the other person that they would, that God would work in their life, that the word would cut into their soul, that um, they would receive what is being said, and that God would bring life to all of us. Pray specifically for the person or persons next to you. Father God, we are here because you have called us. This is what it means to be a church. You've called us to be a people together. And we've come to worship you. We've come to hear from you. We've come to give you what rightfully belongs to you, God. And right now we give you the next few moments to do your will. I pray that you would shape your people. I pray that you would shape this church. For your glory, God, would you do your good work here? We rely completely on you right now. There's nothing I can say that can make any difference. But your spirit can say something, God. God, do your work here. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, it's been said that the man of God should be ready to Pray, preach, or die in this, with a five-minute notice. And um, I was talking to Dorothy before service, and she said, uh, you should be ready to do those things in two minutes. So she raised the bar for me. Um, and uh, today we're going to go through a passage that I reserved for next week. I didn't, um, obviously I didn't have as much time to prepare, but we're going to read God's Word. And if of anything I say today, this is going to be the most important, which is I'm going to speak the word. Um, and we're going to have the passage up here on the projector if you don't have your Bibles. But our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1, I'm sorry, verses 11 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is the Word of God. As I, as we went through the first and second chapters of First Corinthians uh, over the past few weeks, Paul has been talking about this unifying message, this, this, this message of the cross, he says in chapter 1. He says that there is a message of the cross. This is what everything that he says and does, everything revolves around this. This is the most important thing that we can preach, which is 
this word of foolishness to the world, but the wisdom of God, which is the word of the cross. And then Paul says, he continues in, verse, in, um, in chapter 1, he says, I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words. So Paul is saying that all the things that I've said to you in all my time of ministry to you, what mattered most was not how I said things. It's not all the ancillary things that I did to support you as a church. What mattered most was that I preached to you the gospel, this message of the cross. And here in, in, in chapter 2, Paul continues in this thought. He says, I, you know, it, there's so many things that I can say to you. There are so many ways in which I can spruce up my words or maybe as if you were a, uh, a church if you were leading a church in the 21st century you might say i had this big amazing building and i had the best worship band and i had the the all these uh research tools and all these strategies that i learned by going to conferences and reading books um if paul had all those things he would say you know what those things might be neat and cool but What, really, what it really comes down to is that we have this message that, include, that is the power of God. Romans 1, he says, uh, the gospel is the power of God. Not just a description of the power of God. The gospel is the actual power of God. This is what is most important. This is what, is what we, we need to rely on. So as we, look, as we continue on in today's passage, we need to see that this message of the cross, that this is what controls what how we should think as a church. This is how, this is what should uh, control how we think about this particular passage. And what it means for us, either good news or bad news for you, is, that th- is this, that there doesn't need to be novelty in the way that we do ministry, only faithfulness. Only if we preach God's word with faithfulness, if we're accurate with our words, this is what God wants for us, and this is how ministry in the church is done. So, as we look at this text, I want us to, uh, I have three points. Number one is, there's a spirit of the world that Paul writes about in this passage. There's a spirit of God. And finally, number three, the things that are freely given or, the thing, or what, the, what is revealed to us by the spirit. So our first point, which is the spirit of the world. So have you ever, have you ever had a conversation with someone about uh, the Christian faith? And you try to explain to them, this is, you know, how the, the Christian faith works. This is what we believe is true. And um, to you, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's maybe, not, maybe you can't explain every single detail. Maybe there's some loose ends that you're unable to tie. But you explain the Christian faith to someone. And at the end of the day, you're, you think both you and the person you're talking to, there's just something that's not connecting. It's not landing because what I'm saying might be uh, objectively on my behalf, uh, in my thinking, true, but why isn't it changing this person that's hearing it? I could say the same as a minister or as if you've been a part of the church for a while. You know that we can do ministry for week in and week out, and we can do it for years and years, and why does it seem like some people, they, they change, and other people, it just seems like nothing is happening, it's because the Christian faith, it's because what is preached to us is not a set of, of facts that are meant for us just to hold on to. It's rather the Christian message, the message of the cross is something that is active and dynamic and it changes who we are as a person. And it means that it's not cold hard facts. It goes beyond empirical data. 
what is spoken from the pulpit and what we read in the Bible. It's something that, that is moving and active. It's something that, in some sense, is inexplicable. And when Paul says there is a spirit of the world, he's saying that there are, there's something in the way that we can think which controls how we interpret what's being said to us. The spirit of the world that's in us is something that inhibits how we understand what God is saying. So, um, if we if we if we have this spirit of the world, it means that how we think uh, it's it's much smaller than how we need to think. So, um, imagine the the size of the cosmos. Sally prayed earlier when we look at how God has arranged things in the world and how God has arranged the cosmos. Have you ever studied how huge the universe is? If you think about our nearest star, which is the sun, 93 million miles away, you who are sitting in, this, in the sun right now, I know you're really uncomfortable. So if you need to move, that's totally cool. Um, but you're feeling the heat of the sun from 93 million miles away. And this is the closest star to the planet Earth. And within this solar system, which we call the Milky Way, there are... Uh, tens of billions, maybe, galaxies within the universe. And scientists have told us, or astronomers have told us, the the size of the observable universe is 13.1 billion, not miles, but 13.1 billion light years across. That means that if you were to turn a flashlight on, the light would take 13.1 billion years to go from one end to the other. That's really, really far. It's, it's, so, it's so big that we can't even wrap our heads around that. But now, I was reading an article recently about the size of the universe. This is something that I, I sometimes just read up on because it helps me understand my place in the universe. Scientists say that the universe might be as large as 250 times the size of what we've observed. So 250 times 13.1 billion light years. This is huge. Our minds can't even wrap around those numbers. Now, if we look at Job 26, it says, these things that we see with telescopes, this is, these are but the fringes. These are but the fringes of God's handiwork. And we can barely understand what God is doing. Can you, that, that, that the universe spilled, when God created everything, the universe spilled out of God's fingertips? Now, can you imagine how unimaginably bigger, bigger God is than that? And we, in our, with our tiny little minds, even if, even if we could wrap our heads around the numbers, you can't even imagine how big the universe is, let alone God. I, I watched a, a movie star, starring Scarlett Johansson a while ago. It's, it was called Lucy. Have you guys uh, seen this movie? And what, so... The premise of the movie is this, that we as human beings use maybe one, two, maybe three percent of our mind, and then they do this experiment on this woman named Lucy, and her, her mind throughout the movie is the, the abilities of her mind expand throughout the, the movie, and she's able to control things without touching them. She's able to uh, toss people across the room just by thinking about it. She's able to develop this huge, I, would, I guess you would call it an, an operating system of the way things work. And uh, 
the whole thing, the whole premise of the movie is telling us, like, man, consider the human potential. If we could really do all these things that the human mind is capable of, you could do so much. And here, Paul is saying in the passage, we can barely understand with our tiny little minds what God is doing, what God is saying, um, how big God is. So there's this, there's a, the capacity of our minds as human beings. We can't understand really what God is doing because our minds are so small and God is so big. But there's another way in which we can understand what God is doing. It's this, it's that we are too self-centered to understand what God is doing. So if you've ever, if you've ever thought about the way you think about yourself, the, we, we're usually self-referential, right? We think, well, you know, the things that happen around the world, um, I can understand them from my perspective. And I think of things in terms of how they relate to me. So if we look at the news and there are things happening in other parts of the world, we can look at the hurricane or we can look at the protests in Hong Kong or we can look at all the uh, terrorism or, or shootings and violence here at home. And we can look at all these things and we can think, well, that's unfortunate, but how does that really affect me? Um, we might feel really bad and... Thankfully, uh, I know some of you guys, you guys are very outward focused and you try to focus on, you, you try to do what is, you try to serve the world how you can. But ultimately, before the word of, before God does his work in us, we're self-referential, we're self-centered, and we can't understand what is being spoken to when God speaks to us. So because of the smallness of our minds, because of our orientation, we're unable to understand what is being said to us. Even though when we read the word, we can understand on a, um, on a grammatical level what's happening. When we, can, when, we, when we hear the word of God, even though we can make a logical sense of what's being spoken, Paul's saying here, you're only seeing it from one level, but there is another level that you can't see it from. It's that God is so beyond us that we can't know who he is unless he reveals himself to us, unless he were to crack himself open and say, let me reveal myself to you. We can't know who God is or what he's doing, or we can't understand why he's doing what he's doing. If you think about the incarnation, this is one of the amazing doctrines of our faith, which is that God knew that we couldn't understand him. God knew that we couldn't reach him. So what does he do? He sends himself to explain who he is. The, if you look at 1 John, it says that, uh, that, the word ex- that, that Jesus explains who God is. Our only hope for understanding reality, our only hope for understanding what God is doing, our only hope for understanding who God is, is that he sent his son to explain him to us. So this is the spirit of the world that we work with. There are things that we can hear, but we only hear them on a certain level. We can't understand them as they really are. Now, this is um, a side note here, which is this, that sometimes when we think of the spirit of the world, when we look at, when we have conversations with people and they just don't get it, they don't understand it, we think, well, you know, I, I shouldn't have to um, work so hard to explain what I believe to them because they're just not going to believe anyway, which is not what this text is advocating. If we are, if we, if we truly care about what God is saying, 
it means that we can't be lazy about what God is saying to us. It means that we can't be lazy or have excuses for not thinking about what, about not studying His Word. We can't have excuses for um, why we don't work hard to understand or to listen or to learn what God's Word is saying. In fact, if we really believe that the Spirit of God is active and working in our own lives, it means that we have to, we should study all the more. It means that we need to learn all the more what God is saying through His Word. Um, consider this uh, for musicians. If you've ever, I know there are some musicians here. Uh, one of the things, one of the marks of a good musician is that you can just get together with someone and you can jam with them. You can just say, hey, we're going to play in this key, we're going to play in this tempo, unless as musicians come together and play some music. Now, who is the freest person in the band? It's the person who has disciplined himself, who has practiced the most, who studied music theory. And in the same way, for those of us who want to live faithfully as followers of Christ, what we need to do is we need to study the Word. We need to, we need to understand what it says. And in this way, if we want to live as a faithful follower of Christ, it means that we have to have something in us. Psalm 1, it says this, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. If you want to live a good life, if you want to be faithful to what God has called you to, it means you just don't go. It means you don't fly by the seat of your pants and say, "I'm just going to uh, go by my emotions," or "I'm just going to go by what I feel God is leading me to." God has told us what we should be doing in His Word. He says we should be loving Him with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. It means that we should be loving others. It means that we should be obeying His Word. So to be a to to live in contrast to the spirit of the world means that we live with this. We live in the Spirit of God. It means that we prepare ourselves, we study as the musician, musician does. It means that we um, study. It means that we practice. It means that we prepare ourselves so that when the time comes, we can do what we're supposed to do as believers. As Psalm, as Psalm 1 says, uh, we yield our fruit in its season. So, this is the Spirit of the world. It means that uh, what is being said to us through his word goes beyond empirical data. It means that there are, unless God gives us a spirit, we cannot understand what's being said. So this is uh, what Paul is saying in in this passage. And Paul is saying there's something bigger, there's something beyond what we can see. One of the things that I mentioned uh, I think several times as I was preaching through First uh, Corinthians, is we can't rely on the methodology of church. We can't rely on um, how things are being done in order to change people. Uh, so there are some people that, that say, I want this uh, mystical or, or emotional experience, and this is what draws a lot of people to certain branches of Christianity. They think, well, this, is, this really moves me. Um, I, I, I'm a music fan, and I've heard a lot of really amazing music that moves me emotionally. But does that mean 
that uh, I mean, I, I'm saying this in terms of uh, in the church context. I've I've listened to music and I've sang songs along with thousands of other of other people that really move me emotionally. But is that really what God, how God changes people? It's not primarily because sometimes just by changing a song from a minor key to a major key, that does something in us. That doesn't mean that the spirit of God is moving. It means that there might be endorphins in our brains that respond to it. But what God is doing goes beyond our physiological responses. Um, And it does a church no good to manipulate emotions. We, We don't try to speak. We don't try to say things in very, uh, fancy ways to impress people. But we believe that what God is, it, it means that even though it's, all right, this is a, I've, I've lost my train of thought and I can't read the chicken scratches. So I'm, 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 uh, I'm trying to think of what I need to say in a clear way. So I apologize. Sometimes you cut yourself open and um, what comes out is uh, really what's in a person. And uh, I can tell that I'm not communicating this clearly. So I invite you to continue to pray for me. Let me try to say this as simply as I can. God has given us something to listen to and to hear and to respond to. And for those of us who understand it on a logical level, that's great, but it needs to go beyond that. I spoke last week about how there are two realms in which we live. There is one realm which is physical and natural. There's another realm in which we can't see, and unless God opens our eyes, we're not going to see it. But I think that we all know intuitively that there's something beyond us. When you look at beauty in the world, why do we have such beauty, and why are we able to appreciate how food tastes, and why are we able to enjoy relationships there's something, whether you say it's physic, a physiological thing or not, you have to admit there's something bigger than yourself. Whether or not you call it God, there's something transcendent. Whether or not you acknowledge it as God. And how do you understand what that is? And here Paul is saying, if you have the spirit of the world, you'll find a way to explain it. But if you have the spirit of God, that's when it's going to change you. It's okay for us to... Um, do things with excellence. It's okay for us to have a to to uh, speak in a way that moves people. These are good things, but we can't rely on these things. We have to rely our, on something other than ourselves. So our next point: the Spirit of God. Look at verses twelve through thirteen. Paul says this: For now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Earlier in verse 12, Paul speaks of the spirit who knows uh, who God is. Paul, Paul talks about knowing someone truly. So if you've been married, uh, what happens in the process of marriage over the course of years and decades is you get to know someone more and more. And one of the things that I learned um, in just being married to Christine for six years now is um, I don't know her as well as I need to. And she doesn't know me as well as 
I would like her to sometimes. And maybe in marriage you might have experienced the same thing. You just, you're not able to connect with this other person because we don't know each other that well. And we might blame the other person, but we don't even, you don't even know yourself that well. I think it's sometimes unfair for you to expect someone to know yourself that well. But this is not a marriage um, advice time. Um, but I use this as an illustration to say that there, there's something in us that's, that we don't know. Um, and there's something in God that we definitely don't know. If God is as big as he is, we definitely can't know that. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says this about the knowledge of God. Listen to what Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Paul is saying, how can you know how God thinks? We often think, you know, I don't like how God is doing this thing in my life. Or I don't not like how God has arranged these things in the world. But Paul is saying, how can you know? How, how can you judge God? How can you say to the creator of the universe that how you're doing things now doesn't make sense? Just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean it doesn't make sense to God. And Paul is saying, only the Spirit can tell us what is true. So what is true is what God has written to us, but we can understand it on, again, a purely logical, grammatical level. But what is truly true requires the Spirit of God. So if you hear the word that doesn't require the Spirit. If you understand the Word, that doesn't require the Spirit. But if you find the Gospel message beautiful, if you find it compelling, if you find it as something that you want to give your life to, that requires the Spirit of God. And Paul is saying, if you have the Spirit, this is necessary for the Spirit of God to work. The D.A. Carson says this, Our lostness demands that the Spirit of God help us understand what God is doing. To understand not, doesn't mean we only understand on a purely mental level. We can't, just, we can't just give it intellectual assent. But consider this. To understand something is to stand under something. When God gives us a truth, we don't just say, yes, I agree. We stand under what that truth means. It means that we submit to what is being done and said. I, I read this quote from R.C. Sproul last week. I'm going to Recycle it because I think this helps us understand this point when it comes to ministry. Um, God is our mortal enemy. He represents the highest possible threat to our sinful desires. No amount of persuasion by men or argumentation from philosophers or theologians can induce us to love God. We despise his very existence and would do anything in our power to rid the universe of his holy presence. If God were to expose his life to our hands, he would not be safe for a second. We could not ignore him. We would destroy him. Those who have the spirit of the world hate God. They hate the idea of God. They hate the idea that there's someone above them that would inhibit what they want to do. They hate this idea of a holy, transcendent God that tells them maybe the way that you're living is wrong. Maybe your sense of reality is false. And how do we as a church respond to this? We can't speak louder 
We can't try to arrange things in our church so that people would come and that they would say, oh, well, you know, I like these people, I like this church, but I just don't get what they're saying. How do you go about doing ministry? How do we go about doing ministry as a church? It has to be in the power of the Spirit. The most important thing that we do as a church is we pray. Pray for the person that you know is struggling This is how God is going to change people. Pray for the leaders of this church. Pray for all the ministries because we are dishonoring God if we are doing ministry apart from his power. Martin Luther, he, he, uh, this is the way that he approached ministry. If you remember Martin Luther, they call him the, uh, one of the fathers of the Reformation and, uh, in the 16th century, all these, Amazing things happened in the Western world. And um, Martin Luther, the former Roman Catholic monk, he, he, he realized that God doesn't, you can't earn God's favor, but it's what Christ has done that allows us to relate to God. And um, Martin Luther, after, after a lot of the uh, events of the Reformation happened, he looked back on his ministry, and this is what he said. He said, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word, otherwise I did nothing. And when, while I slept or drank, Wittenberg bear with my Philip, his friend, and, and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing, the word did it all. Martin Luther saying, I preached the word, I drank bear, and I slept. And this is how the Reformation came about. He had such power in the Word of God. He had such power, such, or he had such trust in the Word of God, and he had such. Uh, he relied on the spirits, and this is what we need to do as a church. We need to preach the Word and then rest. Preach the Word, trust that God is going to do what He's doing, and then rest. I, off, I think that often why we feel tired is because we're trying to do things that only the Holy Spirit can do. I have tried to change people's minds and have been unsuccessful, but I've also seen that people have become completely new people because I just prayed for them or other people prayed for them. And as a church, are we going to pray for each other? I will point this out, that we have a prayer meeting on... Uh, most Sundays at 1010 in either the library or room 21. And um, not many of people, not many of us go to that. Um, but what if you really believe that prayer really changed things? We need to be a church that prays. If the Spirit really is working, if the Spirit really is working in this church, then we need to Pray that he continue to do his work and we need to respond. So um, on a very practical note, we have a lot of, a lot of ministries that need helpers. And um, if the Spirit of God is working, and if what I said several months ago is true, that everything we need as a church is in this church among our members, it means that we should have enough nursery helpers. It means that we should have enough people helping with the children's ministry. It means that there shouldn't be the same people burning themselves out week after week. If we are truly living by the Spirit, if the Spirit is in us, we should be responding to what He's doing. And this is how God is going to be honored. Not by 
just a select group of people doing all the work. It's by all of us doing what the Spirit is prompting us to do. Um, and finally, if we look at verse, if we look at uh, verse 12, um, again, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The reason why God has given us a spirit is so that we would understand what he's saying to us. He says he gives us to us freely. We can know what God graciously wants us to know. A, um, this means, I think there are two implications to this. Number one, that there are things that if you knew, like if, if we're followers of Jesus, if we knew where God would lead us as we followed him, we would not want to follow him. We'd turn back right away. Because I, I mentioned this a while ago. If you knew that Christ was going to lead you into suffering, would you follow him? If you knew that Christ was going to lead you into uh, joblessness or loneliness or a broken relationship by following him, would you still follow him? No, you wouldn't. I think for many of us. But God reveals to us little by little what we need to know. John, Jesus says in John 16, this is what uh, Jesus says, John 16, verses 12 through 13. I love that Jesus says this because I think he knows us so well. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, will spe- he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus knows that we can't handle all the things that are going to happen in our lives all at once. Because if we did, if, if we could say, if we ask God, God, tell me everything that's going to happen in my life, and if you do that, I will follow you. Do you really think that you would do that? To follow Jesus means that you do not follow a roadmap or a plan. It means that you follow a person. There's a scene in uh, the American version of The Office where uh, Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute are in a car and they're following their GPS to get to a de- destination. And their, de- their GPS leads them directly into a lake. They drive straight into the water. And the reason why is because they trusted the GPS rather than their own intellect and their own intuition. And I feel like this is often how things might work is we, we think that if we had, if we knew exactly what God is doing, things would be okay. If we, God could explain to us everything that's happening in our life, then we'd be happy and content. But this is not how following Christ works. Following Christ means that we follow Christ. It means that we follow a person and we have to trust that he is good. And how do we know that he is good? Paul says, what God gives us graciously. Ultimately, what is that? It means that he gives us his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with our biggest problem, which is our rebellion against God. It means that we are sinful creatures standing before a holy God. And who can fix that problem? If God would crush us, God can crush us. But what does God do? Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved. God gives us freely what we need most. And this is ultimately what God wants us to understand. This is ultimately what God has revealed to us through his spirit. This is ultimately what we need to build our church upon, which is the gospel. So may this be true of IGC, that we are continually seeking the spirits, that we are listening to what he's saying, 
that we're not trusting in our mere, our mere intellect, we're not trusting the intellect of the pastors. I feel like I've, I've uh, demonstrated to you that you cannot trust the intellect of the pastor. Uh, maybe Michael, but not me. But we can trust what the Spirit is doing. And may we do that. Let's pray. Father God, uh, these are the words of a feeble, weak, inadequate, unprepared man. But we believe that your word is strong, that your spirit is powerful, that your work is guaranteed in this church, God. I pray that we would submit to what you're doing. I pray that we'd be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life and in this church, and that we would respond to you, God. Would you give us the spirit, give us a spirit, for your sake, for your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.